Hello and welcome to Be Be Now Here. It's a good start, isn't it? <laughs> I'm trying to remember what it's called. <laughs> oh my goodness, this is going to be fantastic. Thought comes into your mind, just let it go. And I'm like, this thought isn't going, I'm raging. Um, we're allowed to have different opinions. You're a great body, and fair play to yourselves, you're great too. You're doing a great job. <laughs> I've got that pain in my chest. I feel particularly great right now, and I can't go on holidays at this precise moment. My God, I'm like no expert on love, that is for sure. I mean, I've, you know, got badges of failed expressions of love. Yeah, I don't think Oasis were into that. Unless he was their dealer. Welcome to Be Now Here. My name is Keith Walsh and this is... Aileen Slane. How are you, Aileen Slane? I'm great, Keith Walsh. How are you? Very good. Um, I am in presenter mode today. Fantastic. I'm, I'm masking as a broadcaster. You're doing a really good job at it. Have you ever done it before? That wasn't on the script. You asked me a question I wasn't expecting and as a broadcaster, I don't know what to say. <laughs> we don't have my own thoughts. Um, how has your week been? Nice week. I mean, we I did have nationwide here yesterday. That was lovely. So what? it was yeah. Orti were here, and that was a fun day with Valerie Waters recording. They must have seen Daffodil Day. Okay. Daffodil Day in Cancer, as uh, so they are doing a piece on a cancer story, which happened to be mine. Amazing. So it's um, the Irish Cancer Society Daffodil Day, March twenty second. I do believe. Yeah, it is. It's a huge day for, I think it's their biggest. So um, they were here doing a piece on that. So it was really great. I had um, seven of my students here and we did a yoga class and then we did a meditation class and they recorded it. And then we had the most important part of it, which was uh, some coffee and cake. So you had coffee and cake after the yoga and mindfulness and the meditation. Yeah, I mean, it's the essential part of the day, I think. But tell me now, Aileen, uh, with all your experience and knowledge and, you know, time spent in India under gurus. No, that sounds wrong. Learning from the, some of the great gurus of our time. What has cake and coffee got to do with mindfulness? I mean, as the Stoics say, stop eating coffee. Stop enjoying yourself. Yeah, stop There's doing no nice things. There's no need for pleasures. Uh, I don't know. I think life is a bit of this and a bit of that, isn't it? I think mindfulness is uh, the middle path. You know, in Taoism, that's it. It's the middle path, no extremities. So no extreme cutting yourself off from pleasantries and no going towards torture. Somewhere in the middle. Okay. And that and that's the middle path is mindfulness. Is that? It is mindfulness. I mean, I, I think that, you know, we've spoken about this before, Keith, in the course that I'm doing at the moment with Tara Brack and Jack Cornfields, there's actually this whole piece where they're kind of pulling apart the history of mindfulness and how, you know, it's been brought over from Buddhism two and a half thousand years ago. And initially it would have had, you know, it would have been very much the guru and the student. That was the relationship for learning mindfulness. And within that, it was the teaching was no mind, no thinking to get rid of thought. 
And it was kind of these extreme, it was a very hierarchical relationship. So, you know, the guru was the all-knowing and you were kind of the the gormless person coming, seeking their wisdom. What they're saying is that is just one track of teaching, but actually the teaching is much broader. And that now it's, you know, it's kind of becoming a different way and that it's much more now about awareness of what is here right now, what's happening right here, right now, bringing kindness and compassion towards us. I mean, if you look at any of the um, definitions of mindfulness, it says to know what is occurring within the present moment. So that's what it is. I've been following this guy on TikTok and he's a mindfulness teacher. And he does this thing is exactly what you're saying. But there's one video he did where he said, just just focus on the tip of my finger. Focus on the tip of my finger. Focus on the tip of my finger. And then in this moment, is everything okay? Are you okay? And it really does, if you can, like it had a strange effect on me because I felt like, yeah, everything's fine. And it's like the bigger picture is too much for everybody. But if you just focus on what's in front of you, what's in the room, where where are you? Right now, is everything okay? That's all you need to worry about. And I rather enjoyed that, but that's that aligns with what you're saying, Helene. It does, but it also points to something else. Because again, I think it's this idea of binary thinking. It's like we're trying to define something and make it like, oh, it's this. Mm. So it's only this. It looks only like this. And this is the right instruction. And you see, even that is flawed. You know, that's just going down another rabbit hole. Like what we've talked about before, Keith, is that like, you know, it's this idea of realizing that you can feel more than just one thing at one time. Um, And it's like trying to say that, like mindfulness is the attention that you're bringing to awareness. It's a tool. It's like the finger pointing at the moon. It's the finger. It's not the moon. So we're looking to come in contact with the moon element within us. And mindfulness is a vehicle. So it doesn't matter if that vehicle is a Toyota or if it's a Ford or if it's a Tesla or whatever. It's a vehicle to bring you to the moon. And they're all just vehicles. So I don't think there is ever... Like, this is the technique. This is not the technique. There's just lots of techniques. There's, there are ways of bringing us back to ourselves. I don't want to be peeing on your parade, but I don't think a Toyota gets you to the moon. We get caught up then in defending particular ways. You know, somebody says, this is the way it is for you to find, you know, I'm going to use the word enlightenment, whatever that means, for you to find peace, for you to find joy, for you to find happiness this is the way, this is the way to do it, or this is the way to do it. And I think there's multiple ways and all things have a use at different times. The strategy that you've just pointed to, looking at your finger and asking yourself at this precise moment, is everything okay? That has a real impact in that precise moment. And it gives you a glimpse, it gives you a taste of something, single point of concentration to be able to take your awareness right into one thing and hold it there is creating single point of concentration, which is another definition of what mindfulness is. 
the reality is, is that after you stop looking at your finger, you're still going to go and get into your car and face traffic and maybe get irritated. So is looking at your finger going to, you know, create the same space for you there in difficulty? Maybe not. So maybe there's a different strategy that, you know, is more helpful at that point. So I think we don't need to limit ourselves to this is right, that's wrong. I think it's just evolving. Different strategies are useful at different times. That's, I think that's kind of where I feel comfortable with it. I use different strategies like at different times. If I'm feeling very overwhelmed and I'm sitting in my meditation, you know, maybe I don't want to allow my thoughts to be here or my emotions to be here. Maybe all I want to do is just offer myself love and kindness. And, you know, that's what I'll do for that sitting. Maybe another time I don't want to do that, so I'll do something else. So I think we just have to really, for me, the most fruitful way of being is just realizing that nothing is really fixed, <laughs> that there is no... Def- oh, that's handy for, oh, that's handy for you now, isn't it? You just say whatever you want and that's mindfulness. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, it kind of is. Like, it's, it is and it isn't, you know, because it's. I think we, we limit ourselves when we try to say that this is the way. But you always say that. Anytime I meet you and you're leaving, you always say, this is the way. And then you leave. That's like your catchphrase. <laughs> I think of it like tools on your tool belts, and then you reach for a different tool for a different job. Yeah. But um, if you think about it, Keith, what is the tool doing? You know, when you use that, what is it you're trying to achieve? Well, you know, the way you said it is and it isn't. I do think of it like tools on a tool belt, but I don't consciously go for something for a situation. So I've built up, built up the hours almost. Mindfulness gives me space so that I'm not just mindlessly going and going and going and doing things. It means that I have the space to stop and think, do I need to be doing this? I used to feel like life was happening to me. Stuff was just happening and it was kind of almost like nothing to do with me. And then when I started meditation and got a bit of space, I I call it a bit of room to kind of look at things and and examine things and question things and wonder about things and then... you know, ask myself, well, just because other people think this would be a great thing to do, that doesn't mean I need to do it for them. I can just figure out what I need to do. So it meant that I went from being a person who couldn't really quite tell you, <laughs> if you asked me, how's work? I would say, fine, um, it's all good. And, but not really, no, because I'd want to ask you back, well, how do you think it's going? So I'd want you to tell me how you think my work is going Am I doing a good job? Does it please you, the work I'm doing? Because it didn't really mean anything to me. And then the mindfulness allowed me to make decisions based on the decisions to do things that I that was more me. I mean, it's, a, it's you can't just like leave everything and burn everything down and then walk away. It's a, it takes time. But bit by bit, you start doing more of the things you like. You start incorporating that into your work life instead of a, a work-life balance where you're working in a job that you don't really have any connection with or care about, or and then you're trying to be yourself at the weekend in a mad panic to be yourself, then you have to go back into a different person, a different, you know, body Monday morning. And I think that was probably going to just kill me in the end. So instead of work-life balance, where I work and then try and balance that out at the weekend, I just try and be as much myself all of the time. And you see, I think actually what you pointed to at the very beginning of how you were explaining it there 
you know, it's such a great description. You didn't, one, you don't consciously choose these strategies. So you've learned them. You've put the time in to using different strategies and figuring out how they are helpful and create more skill for you and how you show up in life for yourself. And then just naturally that ripples out then into your day to day. When you start to sit and use these strategies or skills like mindfulness, whether it's a, you know, looking at your finger or, you know, focusing on your breath or looking at your thinking or whichever tool it is that you're developing, you're you're developing that space. You're getting a taste of what space feels like within you when you're not mindlessly living, when you're actually really aware of what's here right now. Then once you've experienced that, when you're in your mindless, I'm going to just use that word, mindless living, you realize at some point, because usually it triggers some sort of discomfort, you're feeling this feels doesn't feel particularly nice. And then you have a comparison because now you think, oh, yeah, actually, I know what I feel like when I feel more myself. And this is obviously jarring against it because this doesn't this feels like one of my roles that I'm operating out of, you know, probably to get validated or it's what I feel I meant to do to get my needs met. So I think all of mindfulness, like what you said, it creates space. And whatever the tool is that you're using that allows you to touch your own awareness, that allows you to come back to your own self, it means then that when you're in your day-to-day life, as a parent, as a partner, as a you know self-employed employee, you know we've got so many roles in the day that we operate in. It allows you to keep coming back to that space, where you then can make decisions that are much more, you know, come from a space of really understanding what's present for you right now, as opposed to as you said, just life happening at you. So I think, you know, Viktor Frankl's quote, I mean, I remember when I first read that book, highly recommended as a read, it's a very small little book, small read, uh, Man's Search for Meaning, you know, the, I'm going to give a total spoiler here, but, but you know, at the very end, it says, between the stimulus and the reaction is a pause, and within that pause lies your freedom. And I remember I got to the end of that book, read it um, maybe about 10 years ago, And like, I was really excited. Like this book said, man, search for meaning. This was my question. What's the point? So I was like, brilliant. (laughs) This is it. The the answer is in here. And I got to the end and I thought, what? Are you serious? Really? That? And now, you know, more and more and more as the years and days have evolved. And now for me, it's like, oh my God, that's exactly it. There is the stimulus. Okay, so whatever happens, my conditioning or something outside of me creates a reaction. I can live mindlessly and I just react or I just live out of conditioning. And so I have no realization of what's actually happening. Or there is this pause, which is in the middle of it. And within that is my freedom to choose how I respond to myself and how I respond to the world outside of me. And I think that that's the pause that you're talking about. You know, that's the space where we can just be much more real about ourselves and the world that we, you know, interact with. Do you think people are afraid to be really honest with themselves about the life they're living? 
I would say it's an element, wouldn't I think it is for all of us, it's an element, isn't it? You know, when the things that you jar against in your day-to-day life, I think that they're probably showing you something that you just don't want to see. Like I know, say for the last decade, I've been kind of living a reclusive lifestyle. And then I feel very insecure and maybe I might feel really like lacking when I'd see other people who are able to be out there in the world. And it used to really jar against me, you know, this feeling of that I wasn't doing enough or I wasn't good enough to be seen. The realisation came to me, it was just like, you know, the reality is, is that I'm lacking my own value. And so that's what was happening for me. But I didn't really want to see that because that was quite uncomfortable for me to look at. And by actually coming towards it and actually getting to know it, it's been so freeing. But I think, yeah, I think we all do it. We all do it in different ways and forms. And I think the bumps that we have in our relationships or within our lives are good ways of understanding what might be at the bottom of us. But I say I asked that question because I want to say that I, I feel like people think that if they reflect and allow themselves to reflect and just be, that they may find that the things that they've thought are true, like they're married to the wrong person, they're living in the wrong house, the job is terrible, that all of those things will be true and then they'll have to just leave everything behind. And in actual fact, I found that I was in a place where I'd point at other people and other things and say, well, if that was better, if they were better, if that was different, my life would be enjoyable. When I started doing meditation, it didn't say to me, yes, you're right. They're all arseholes. You need to leave. (laughs) Well done, Keith. You're so wise. It made me realize that not that I had to change. I had to change certain things about what I was doing and how I was behaving. And first be happy with myself and it's it's kind of what you were saying it's like live the life you want to live but the problem then is are you comfortable living that life in that do you believe in and are you going to give are you going to back yourself like how are you going to do that that part of it because you can go and live in the middle of nowhere up a lane with no electricity and that's fine but if you interact with other people how do you feel about what you're doing and how do you feel about what you think they think uh, about what you're doing that's the next thing or that's part of it yeah because i think there's that classic phrase you know you think you're enlightened if you go off and you do long retreats or whatever it is or sitting in silence you know and then you go spend the weekend with your family and you know you arrive in and somebody says well what are you doing and is that really you know worthwhile (laughs) and you know you feel judged and then what is your experience within that so yeah i mean Going away and isolating yourself, I don't necessarily know if that's an answer. I think our early childhood shows us to blame something outside of us for being the fault. But that child over there is being mean to me and they're causing me to suffer. Whereas really what the reality of that situation is, is that, okay, maybe they are being mean, but I feel hurt. And I'm not able to say, actually, how you're behaving is hurting me. I've learned techniques of going, oh, they're just a bad person. So I'm going to push them away. So 
that's actually what it is. So now I'm projecting my experience outside of me onto that other person and saying that they're actually in control of what I'm experiencing, as opposed to saying, you know, I'm actually, that's hurting me and I don't like what you're doing. So if you want to carry on doing that, I'm not going to, I'm not going to stay around this space. So I think we have to sit with ourselves first to try and find out what's going on within our own psyche. Um, Because, you know, pushing it outside of ourselves is ineffective. It's not going to do anything. It's just going to create the same patterns happening over and over again, just with different people in them and in different situations. Can I use an example? Instead of somebody going away and living in the middle of nowhere for a while and then coming back in contact with people who didn't do that, what if it's like deciding that, making a decision that, you know what, I want to, I really want to get into horticulture and I'm going to give up my job in the bank. I don't know why it's always a job in the bank. We're demonizing <laughs> people who work in banks. It's not fair. Um, and I'm going to become a landscape gardener or I'm going to write a movie or I'm going to do something that I've always wanted to do. And then when you when you when that idea and that action that you've taken and you've enrolled in college or you bought yourself a camera or whatever it is, and then you tell somebody about it, how will you be with their reaction? Because you might get some people who'd say, "Oh my God, I'm so glad that's totally what you should be doing, and you've been talking about it for so long. Brilliant. If you need any help, give us a shout." you'll probably mostly get people who either don't really react at all and aren't that interested or say, are you mad? Sure. There's a, the, the stock market's about to crash and you can't, there's not going to be any work. You know, it's like telling your parents you want to do such and such in, in college. And they say, Oh no, you need to become a nurse. There's loads of work in nursing. There's no work in being a, an animator or whatever it is. It's, self-love and self-support being okay with other people not thinking you should do that but not taking that on board at the bottom of all of that at the bottom of everything at the bottom of is this mindfulness is that mindfulness you know if I decide to go away and meditate for a month on my own is that the way or if I give up my job is that going to give me happiness it's again trying to create a fixed answer and I really just don't think there is one like I just recently did my own website and I sent it out to it was actually really interesting I sent it out to about 15 people friends and family and I asked people to just give me feedback tell me the bits they liked and what they didn't like and what worked and what didn't work and everybody some people had similar stuff everybody had a different opinion Mm. and it was so interesting to me not just because of my website I thought oh actually it doesn't matter (laughs) because actually everybody thinks something different because everybody is different and they have a different view because of where they're coming from. And so if I'm going to depend upon, you know, my validation coming from external sources, then I'm constantly going to be tossed around in the sea because it's so different for everybody. So I think that at the bottom of any of us, is that there really isn't trying to make something solid is where we cause our suffering. 
trying to say this is the way that's the right job this is going to give that relationship is going to make me happy this life is going to make me happy it's actually you know it's that once I put a cage around you know a framework around this is how it's meant to look I create suffering so it's can we actually be more okay with the fact that one we live in a constantly changing environment our world is always changing we're always changing and can I be okay with that and not only can I be okay with it but when those changes happen that cause me to feel difficulty or challenges am I able to support myself in a way that's helpful and when it's changing you know, can I also maybe find the joy in it when the changes are, you know, not causing me difficulty? So I think it's the solidity that we try to put on it. Like if you think about everything, like what you've mentioned there, like become a nurse because, you know, you've got a job and you have a pension at the end of it. Like that's trying to create no change. It's trying to create stability in a constantly changing environment. Like I think as humans, that's what we're constantly grappling against is the shifting sands. We're trying to make it into concrete and it can't because it's just sand. It'll always be sand. And I think sitting in mindfulness, whatever way that you're practicing it, or whatever tools that are working for you, not only are you creating the space to get a new view on your environment, but you're also starting to notice that there's, an awful lot more here than I thought there was here. You know, I might have only thought that I was just my thinking that was here, but actually not only is it just my thinking, but there's actually multiple types of thinking going on at the same time. And I'm having different feelings at the same time. And I'm noticing that my body is feeling different things at different times. So we're starting to come really close to impermanence and the changing environment that we live in and becoming more at ease with us because I think we're terrified of us. We're terrified of the idea of this world that is always changing. That's so true because we've always been told that what we need is security, stability. We're looking for confirmation of the fact that everything's going to be all right. And the main way we do that is through money so we kind of become convinced that if we have enough money that we know looking into the future that we'll be able to afford anything that any bills are going to be okay you know we'll be able to pay our bills that that somehow will give us what we're craving and I really don't think it does but that, but all those words, like exactly what you're saying, but all those words you're told by your parents, by your teachers, or by whoever, your guardians, that, you know, when it comes to life, jobs, relationships, security, stability, and don't and hang on for dear life, and don't ever leave because you got a pension at the end of it, and don't ever leave because you've got your retirement together at the end of it, and don't ever leave because the people in that other town are mad. And I think that that was like a real thing for a period of time. Like, I mean, it's not that many, you know, generations, if we go back, that poverty was a very real thing. And it's still a real thing now. 
you know, I think in, say, the last generation, maybe the conversation around you need to get a pensionable job, because I would imagine that the fear was very tangible from a country that, you know, had had a lot of turmoil. Mm. I suppose seeing older people with nothing would have had a big effect on and 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 older people going into maybe workhouses or just yeah. being abandoned. That's a real that comes from a real, real thing. thing. Yeah. We're taking on board our history. Like we're not we're not we're not separate from our history, our roots, where we've all come from. It's again that idea of really starting to look around and notice, is this what's here now? Do I still need to live out of that belief system? Or has my environment changed? So that's what you pointed to early, living mindlessly. So I could be living mindlessly, still living out of that fear of lack or not being secure in an element. But the reality is, is that maybe actually I am quite secure, but I'm still living from this, you know, this underlying fear. And it's not until I pause and get to become familiar with that and actually understand that that's here, it's alive within me, it's present within me, and that maybe some of my decisions are coming from this fear. And not until I start to get to know what's at play within me, within my conditioning and within my mindset, then I, you know, I'm kind of at the mercy of it. Whereas when I start to actually become aware of what's here, it doesn't get rid of it, it doesn't dissipate the experience but just now all of a sudden I have a different relationship with us so my my experience with the challenge becomes different to what it was I'm now no longer living mindlessly I've now become aware of something that's happening within me I can feel maybe the fear that it ignites within my lived experience and then I can start to you know really become aware of that and notice where it lives in my body. Like when I feel that level of anxiety, if it is around money, where does it, where, when I feel that, do I feel it in my chest? Do I feel it in my throat? You know, am I clenched? Am I needing to get away from something very fast or fearful about making a decision? And and just really trying to to be with us. And, that, and for me, that's the start. And for me, that's mindfulness. When I lived in India, You'd ask a question, you might say, is that very spicy? And they'd say, yes, 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 no, 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 no. <laughs> it's kind of like, is it spicy? Is it not spicy? Well, it depends. Do you, do you like spicy food? What's your level of spice? When I start thinking in a very fixed, rigid way, like that for me is the, the bell to ring, to notice, okay, hang on, what's happening here? This is a very strong something that's limiting me because when I have a very fixed view that this is how it's meant to be, this is how that person should be, you know, they shouldn't behave like this. Well, then for me, that's straight away. Oh, look, okay, what's here? Okay, maybe there's parts of it that are true, but maybe not all of it is exactly like what I think it is. Maybe there's more here than I can see because for sure there is. Like when I sent my website out, Everybody had a different view. So how can I think that my view is going to be the same as your view? Like that's so limiting. And that creates so much suffering in our relationships, you know, with people, misunderstandings, everything that comes from us. Be now. Now here. Be now here. Mindfulness hack. My life hack would be to write down what do I think mindfulness is? 
like really actually pull that idea out of my head because that's probably creating very binary thinking. And so can I put it down on paper and then maybe actually decide that it can be more than just one thing? Be Now Here is brought to you by Aline Slane and Keith Walsh. This whole mindfulness business, what's it all about? Seriously. If you like the pod, please tell your friends and subscribe, I suppose. So, who is Victor E. Frankel? Victor E. Frankel, 1905 to 1997, was an Austrian neurologist, psychiatrist, and Holocaust survivor who is best known for founding logotherapy, a form of existential analysis. His most famous work, Man's Search for Meaning, describes his experiences as a concentration camp inmate during World War I and outlines his psychotherapeutic method of finding purpose in life, even in the most unbearable circumstances. Frankel's philosophy was based on the belief that human beings are primarily driven by a pursuit of meaning in life, rather than by the pursuit of power or pleasure, which were focal points of Freudian psychoanalysis and Adelrian psychology, respectively. Frankel's work in logotherapy is considered a significant contribution to psychotherapy and existential philosophy. He argued that even in the most painful and dehumanizing situations, life has potential meaning, and that our primary motivation is to discover and pursue what this meaning is. His insights into the human capacity for resilience and meaning in the face of suffering have inspired millions and continue to influence the fields of psychotherapy, counseling, and existential thought.